It's Friday, December the 24th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, two new pills to treat COVID-19 and stock markets react to Omicron. First, the world in brief. America's Food and Drug Administration gave emergency authorization to Molnupiravir, an antiviral medicine made by Merck, to treat COVID-19. On Wednesday, the regulator did the same for Visor's Paxlovid, another antiviral pill. Molnupiravir has not been cleared for use in under-18s, as it could affect bone and cartilage growth. Only adults suffering mild to moderate symptoms and at risk of severe disease will be prescribed the pill. Stocks rose after a series of new studies suggested that the Omicron variant of COVID-19 may be less severe than its predecessors. One, conducted in Scotland, found that current infection numbers would have resulted in three times as many hospitalisations were the virus to behave like Delta. A South African study indicated that Omicron sufferers were 70-80% to less likely to go to hospital than those with other variants. Research from England and Denmark also concluded the new variant is milder than Delta. In another boost, scientists found that a third dose of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine raised antibody levels, echoing similar studies for other jabs. A closely watched gauge of consumer price inflation in America rose by 5.7% year-on-year in November, the sharpest increase in nearly 40 years. The Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, the Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation, showed that prices in November were 0.6% higher than in October. Vladimir Putin used his annual end-of-year press conference to reiterate demands for no further eastward enlargement of NATO. Ahead of a meeting between the Russian president and Joe Biden, his American counterpart, Russia published draft proposals for guarantees that would prevent Ukraine and other former Soviet republics from joining the alliance. Tensions with the West have risen in recent weeks because of the presence of Russian troops near Ukraine's eastern border. Mr Biden signed legislation banning imports from Xinjiang, a Chinese region where Uyghurs and other minorities are detained in gulags. The bill also imposes sanctions on foreign individuals connected to forced labour in the region. Earlier, Intel, an American chipmaker, apologised to its, quote, respected Chinese customers, unquote, for telling its suppliers not to source products or labour from Xinjiang. Joan Didion, a writer known for her caustic insights into American culture, died at the age of 87. Didion came to prominence in the 1960s for essays, which explored politics, hippies and a new generation of Americans coming of age in the post-war era. As well as her cultural criticism, Didion published a number of novels and screenplays. And fact of the day. 158, the number of snack bars that archaeologists have counted in Pompeii. And now here's today's agenda. The year in review. The Great Awakening. This week we are looking back on 2021. Today, culture. This year's headlines chronicled how a loose constellation of ideas 
are changing the way that white, educated, left-leaning Americans view the world. Connecting them is the belief that disparities between racial groups are evidence of structural racism and that free speech and individualism are camouflage for discrimination. The quote, woke, unquote, as they are dubbed by left and right alike, believe that injustice will persist until systems of language and privilege are dismantled. Such notions were incubated in universities. Some graduates took a horror of feeling, quote, unsafe, unquote, with them to jobs in the media and in politics, business and education. Progressives of the old school remain champions of free speech. But illiberal progressives think that equality requires the field to be tilted against those who are privileged. That means restricting their freedom of speech and making an example of reactionaries. The results are calling out, cancellation and no platforming. Milton Friedman once said that the quote society that puts equality before freedom will end up with neither. Unquote. He was right. The Year in Review How TikTok Saved the Novel A young woman holds up a book and smiles, quote, This is day one of me reading The Song of Achilles, unquote, she says. The video jumps forward, quote, and this, unquote, she moans, her face stained with tears, quote, is me finishing it, unquote. This is BookTok, as the literary wing of the app TikTok is known, to which publishers are attributing record profits this year. Imagine the emotional pitch of a Victorian melodrama and add music, and you have the idea. But the medium is not quite as gushy as it might seem. Much of the overdone emotion is ironic and some videos are very funny. Young women, such as Celine Voulez, a 19-year-old American student, are appending the dominance of white men in literary criticism. Miss Voulez focuses on authors who aren't typically, quote, taken as seriously, unquote, as others. Quote, I'm a woman of colour, unquote, she says. Quote, I try to promote authors of colour, unquote. Her 185,000 followers approve. The Year in Review The Bite of Another Apple What's for dinner? The answer matters at both a personal and a planetary level. Agriculture uses half the world's habitable land and accounts for more than 30% of global emissions. The pandemic and poor weather pushed food prices up throughout 2021. In the longer term, the food system faces pressure from climate change, population growth and a shift towards more meat-heavy diets. Fortunately, technologies are emerging that promise new ways to produce food in large volumes with less inhumane factory farming and a lower environmental footprint. These range from bioreactors that grow meat to indoor, vertical farms. But just because it is possible to make food in new ways does not mean people will be willing to eat it. A wholesale reimagining of the food system is needed. That will be possible only if both consumers and regulators are prepared to be more daring about what to eat for dinner.
The Year in Review The Explosion of Immersive Art A transformation in how people consume contemporary art is underway. The first immersive band came in 2003 when Olafur Eliasson, a Danish Icelandic artist, hung a giant sun in the Tate Modern in London. Artists have been experimenting with ambitious installations ever since, enabled by ever more sophisticated and technological tools. Such installations satisfy an urge by artists to create and audiences to enjoy a space in which visitors participate and play. Thousands of people have walked through a gallery filled with yellow fog in Berlin or slid down a giant slide in London. At Super Blue Miami this year, visitors could move the blossoms of Vincent van Gogh's blue irises. These shows are hugely popular, but costly installations put pressure on institutions designed for a different age. In an art market built on tradable objects, how can museums and galleries remain relevant? And how do artists who make ephemeral experiences get paid? Ambitious new business models based on ticket sales are needed. Winter Quiz. The winners of week two. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Nisanka Wiraseka, Dehiwala, Sri Lanka, North America, Bruce Darling, Peshastin, United States, South America, George Ferrando, Santiago, Chile, Europe, Thomas Zitlau, Berlin, Germany, Africa, Diane Wu, Abuja, Nigeria, Oceania, John Sadlier, Cottesloe, Australia, Antarctica, Eric Fox, Carlini Base, King George Island. They all correctly guessed the answers of Comet, Richard Donner, Cupid's Bow and Rudolf Havenstein. The theme connecting them all? The names of Santa's reindeer. Stay tuned next week for another round of our winter quiz or as one reader correctly pointed out, summer quiz for those in the Southern Hemisphere. Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Muir, who died on this day in 1914. When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.